Morning, everybody. If I get a music stand, somebody would be great. Hey, you know, we began this series just the same way that the world we live in, it's pretty dark, it's pretty dingy, pretty depressing, pretty discouraging, pretty depraved place to live. And my words, you know, were said two weeks ago, last week, and today, and I just want to have us think about what has happened right around the timing of this series. Thank you. Let's talk about what's happened just during this series, okay? You with me? Saturday, December 1st, 25-year-old linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs, Javon Belcher, goes to his fiancée's house, shoots her nine times in front of her mother, goes to the Kansas City Chiefs facility, thanks the coaches for all they've done for him, and shoots himself right in front of some team executives. Then on Saturday, December 8th, uh, Josh Brent, 24-year-old, getting the age pattern here, 20s, 24-year-old Josh Brent drives with a blood alcohol content of 0.18. He blows a 0.18 when 0.08 is the legal limit. And he gets in a car with, uh, I believe it was Jerry Brown, and flips the car. The guy's almost dying. The car's on fire. A witness says, aren't you going to get your friend out? And he goes, he, he won't get out. He won't get out. He's so freaking drunk, and his friend dies. Then on Friday, or excuse me, on Tuesday, December 11th, 22-year-old guy goes psycho in a mall, Oregon Mall, with an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle. Shoots a bunch of people, two people die, then he shoots himself, 22 years old. And then, of course, Friday, we know the 22-year-old Adam Lanza with four guns and a bulletproof vest. Shoots his mother, then goes to the school where she teaches, shoots 20 kids, 26 kids, uh, 20, 20 kids, six adults, 26 in total, and then he whacks himself. And it's pretty, 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 pretty sad. Couldn't ask for a more pathetic foil to what I've been saying in introducing these series. And then on Tuesday, November 27th, maybe you didn't know this, but uh, before this series began, the son of Barbara Thomas, Barbara Thomas is the director of Rochester Family Mission, one of our ministry partners, not only a, as a missionary that we have supported for years because we believe in Barb's mission and, and her leadership, but also she received um, above and beyond money for audiovisual and will receive above and beyond money for her ministry from Making Waves, which today is Making Waves Commitment Sunday. Her son Jamar is shot in his doorway. And Jamar leaves behind seven children and a fiancé. And Barb Thomas had another son shot less than three years ago. So it's pretty, 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 pretty clear that this is a pretty dark, depraved, depressing, sinful world. If you don't know this, the city of Rochester is now the official murder capital of New York State. And it's a sad reality, but there is a bold remedy. The only remedy is the message of Jesus Christ. The only remedy is for the church to wake the freak up and start doing what it is, being salt and light in this dark world. That's really the only remedy. As I said before, government won't do it, education won't do it, programs won't do it, 
The only person that can do it is God Almighty, and the only truth that can do it is biblical truth. And I believe that's the message of the New Testament book of Acts. And we've looked at some of the most prominent stories in the book of Acts, and we're learning some of the principles involved in turning the world upside down, all because I want Lakeshore to do all that we can to make a difference in Greece, in Spenceport, in Hilton, in Rochester, in Monroe County. If you happen to live in another county and you come to this church, that county too. And we want to make a difference to try to turn our world upside down. I do not believe we're going to change the world. It's not biblical, it's not functional, it's not practical. But I definitely believe we can dent it. I definitely believe we can dent the world. And so we've looked at how we can turn our Jerusalem upside down. Remember that was like our city two weeks ago. And then we learned how we can turn our Judea and Samaria upside down. That was our country. Remember, that's from Acts 1.8, the theme verse of this whole series. Today, we're going to look at how we can change our world, which comes from the remainder of uh, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13 to 28. As you can imagine, with such an enormous amount of territory to cover, I'm just going to select some stories. So today on Making Waves Commitment Sunday, we're going to look at how the church expanded to impact the world. Take out your Lakeshore notes, and if you have a Bible, open to Acts chapter 13, uh, verses 2 to 3. For the rest of the book of Acts, the main character now is Paul. He's the main character. And in the rest of the book of Acts, we're going to see how Paul takes his first missionary journey, his second missionary journey, his third missionary journey, and then his journey to Rome where he's tried and ultimately dies a martyr's death. Some would call that his fourth missionary journey. You can see it any way you want. But for the rest of the book of Acts, Paul stands out. And look at how this begins. Acts chapter 13, verse 2 to 3. The Holy Spirit said to the leaders of which Paul, Saul and, or Paul and Barnabas were together, the Holy Spirit, God says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This was the springboard for the expansion of the good news outside of the Jewish sphere of influence, or the semi-Jewish sphere of influence, Samaria. And this is the start of when God said, take the message outside of Israel and bring it to every last person who will listen. So Paul, Paul or Saul, and that, remember Saul was his name, when God led him to faith, he became Paul. He and Barnabas answer God's call, and the rest is history, these missionary journeys of Paul. So I want to look at five more stories, and I wish I had time to do 20. I wish we could do more in this series, but it's just the way it clocks out. This will be our last look at it. Five more ways on how God can use us to impact our community, our country, and our world from Acts 13, 28. So I want to give you five more ways. Here's the first, right out of the chute in your notes. We have to understand that there is a competition. We have to stand up to other belief systems. Now I want to say something very, very clearly. We love people of every belief system in the world. We love atheists. We love people who believe false things. We love everybody. You don't get a choice on that if you're a Christian. That's just the way it is. So please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. On the other hand, we cannot love any belief system 
that undermines the Christian belief system, if you're a Christian. You understand that? We love people, but we don't love what I have. We don't may not love what they do. I have children. I love my children. Do I always love what they do? No. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. But increasingly, the world is being bombarded with many false philosophies and false religious systems. Philosophies and religions like humanism. Secularism, secular progressivism, socialism, Islam, moralism, Mormonism, Chrislam. You can believe that. They're competition to Christianity. They really are. And we have to stand up to these belief systems respectfully but assertively and show others why Christianity is the only truth system. What is the biggest validation for Christianity? Anybody know? The clearest, biggest validation for Christianity is the resurrection. Every other religious system is headed up by a person who's either alive or if they're dead, they're still on the ground. The validation for Christianity is that Jesus rose from the dead. Why? Because when Jesus rose from the dead, it validated what? What he said. It validated what? The scriptures, it validated what? That he is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And no other leader, no other system can claim this. Paul begins his first missionary journey. Right out of the chute, he confronts someone who is opposing the faith with their false beliefs. Acts 13, 6 to 12. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. This was, um, on, they were on the island of Cyprus. You can read this earlier on in the uh, chapter. They met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus means son, son, son of Jesus. Quite an ironic name for his belief system when you'll see it. He's an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. Now, the proconsul was part of some senatorial system. So, obviously, the island of Cyprus was under the Roman Empire sphere of influence, and Sergius Paulus had some uh, senatorial role on the island of Cyprus. The proconsul was a very intelligent man, and he sent for, Baal, for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. He's curious. You know, this Christianity sweeping all over the place, and he wanted to hear it. But Elimus, the sorcerer, now this is the same guy, Bar-Jesus. He, he went by the name Elimus because Elimus must mean, it, it means something like sorcerer. So, so he was so proud of his sorcerer's beliefs, his, his wicked witchcraft-like beliefs, that he, he called himself that called himself sorcerer, uh, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So the proconsul goes, me, I'd like to hear your message. Saul and Barnabas go, glad to. They give him the message, and this guy goes, I don't listen to them, I don't listen to them, oh, they're, they're wrong, and, and he just opposes them and he argues with them. He tries to turn the proconsul from even believing what they say. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You ought to try that on somebody. Try it like this Tuesday. You're a child of the devil. You go, well, that's kind of mean of Paul. Paul's being assertive. He's being straight. There are times you have to be straight. I know, you know, don't rock the boat and everything. I understand that. I understand civility, I understand respect, 
I'm not here to tell you when or how, but I'm just telling you there are times when Paul says, look, this man asked for me. I'm going to tell this man about Jesus Christ. And you come in and you do this, you bring your garbage and you interrupt me. Paul says, that's exactly what the devil would do. And that's why he calls him out. I mean, straight. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Of course, that's what sorcery is. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind, and for a time you'll be unable to see the light of the sun. And he's literally blinded in such fashion. But notice what happened. When Paul stood up for his faith to this false sorcerer, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. I just wonder sometimes, I believe God's sovereign, I believe in election, I believe people become Christians at God's choosing, and it's a divine mystery, I don't fully get free will in an election. Having said all of that, I wonder if some people wouldn't come to Christ if we would just take a stand sometimes. Not every time, don't take a stand on every silly little thing. From time to time, sometimes we've got to take a stand for our faith, even if there's a cost. And this man believed because Paul did such a thing. When Paul stood up for the faith in response to the false belief system of sorcery, God used it to help Sergius Paulus become a Christian. God can do the same thing for you and I. Will he do it every time? Probably not. Will he do it sometimes? I think if you do it enough, yes, he will. Every day, people are opposing the Christian faith with more intensity. And I'm fully convinced that our culture and our world wants every Christian to keep their faith limited right here. Just keep it in your head. Don't talk about it. Don't express it. Don't wear it. Uh, oh my goodness. This year we see elections have redefined marriage violently, have said that marijuana use is okay, and even the whole idea of Christmas. Many stores, many government agencies, they won't even have a Christmas tree. Not even a Christmas tree. Governor Chafee of Rhode Island calls it a holiday tree. We have to remember the only thing necessary for evil to flourish is for good people to do nothing. I am not talking about politics here. I'm not talking about changing our social fabric. I'm talking about spiritual things, belief systems. It is not easy to stand up for your faith. Not easy at all. People will oppose you, and you are going to have to learn how to defend your faith and explain your faith. Can you? Can you, can you explain your faith? If someone asks you the five to ten most common questions that Christians are asked, can you answer them? Can you? Why does a good God allow bad things? Can you answer that? What about those who have never heard? Can you answer that? Can you answer some questions that people are asking? See, if you don't learn to answer those questions, people will go, see, you're just as confused as I am. You don't have anything to offer. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in this church. And here's the thing. If you'll stay faithful, if you'll take a stand, God will change people in your sphere of influence. Are you willing to take a stand for your faith? 
Are you? Willing to take a stand for it. Not everything in the world needs you to stand up. There are some things you just let it go. Understand? You don't need to be a jerk and fight about every little thing. And I don't know what your thing is, but there are times when your thing has to be, my goodness, I'm standing up right here on that one. And I'm not here to tell you what that is. Realize that the message of Jesus Christ, I'm just here to tell you, is offensive. The cross is offensive. Jesus said, I am the only way to heaven. That can be offensive. It's intended to be. God needs to shake up this world and say, that's the way it is. The late Dr. Walter Martin uh, quoted Robert Ingersoll, who was an agnostic and a renowned uh, antagonist of Christianity. And Robert Ingersoll, again, quoted by Walter Martin, said this, if this religion is true, then there is only one Savior, only one narrow path to life. Christianity cannot live in peace with any other religion. That's not what a Christian said. That's what a non-Christian said. We must live in peace with other people but we cannot live in peace with other false belief systems. It's incompatible. If we stand up for our faith, then God can use us to turn the world upside down. Here's a second important thing. The whole truth. We must teach and live out good doctrine. Now, some of you go, I believe that. What's doctrine? Doctrine is simply a body of belief. Remember when, um, in 2008, they tricked uh, the the news, uh, Charlie Gibson tried to trick Sarah Palin and said, uh, what do you believe about the Bush Doctrine? It was a total trick question. It was intended to make Sarah Palin look silly. Because when you say, what's the Bush Doctrine, what you're saying is, what's the the Bush belief? Well, the, the next question is, belief on what? Of course, the intention was belief on war and things like this. It's a trick question, but... The whole thing is that doctrine is a body of belief. Doctrine sounds so dull. If I just say the body of belief of Christianity. Uh, in 2005 and 2006, I felt so passionate about this that I did a 20-week series on doctrine or systematic theology or the beliefs of Christianity. I called it Life Foundations. Um, shameless plug. The most underappreciated teaching resource I've ever done at Lakeshore Community Church is this series, Life Foundation. I like to talk to Ken and Sandy Umke. I go, do people ever buy this? He goes, no. And part of it is because we don't promote it and everything. Listen, if you don't have a basic understanding of Christianity, I have 85, probably one of the most important series in the history of our church. We taught it at Common Ground Midweek. 85 pages of notes, 20 messages on systematic theology. Here's my, my thing to you. If you don't understand doctrine, you can buy this in CD or DVD. If you don't have the money, hang tight, Ken. Just, we'll give it to you. I think it retails for 40 or $50 for the whole thing. It's a kit. You need to grow in doctrine. It's not about selling things. It's about getting doctrine into you. It's so important. We all need to know the biblical doctrine of the nature of the Bible, why we believe the Bible's inspired by God and without error. Why we need to know who God is and who God isn't, what the Trinity is, what it isn't, why Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, what that is, what that isn't. The nature of mankind, what angels are all about, the church, 
end time, salvation, growing in your faith, all of this. We need to know it all. And I'm not saying this is the, a divine great resource. I'm just saying it's a helpful one. The early church faced doctrinal crisis in Acts chapter 15. And what did they do? They got together and they formed what has been historically known as the Jerusalem Council to debate and to talk about doctrine. Here's the story as it breaks down, Acts 15, starting verse 5. Some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So I want you to understand the issue. These are true Christians. They are Christians who were Pharisees, the, the most religious, ardent of the Jewish people. They said, look at in the Old Testament, every believer was circumcised as a sign of their faith. We believe New Testament Christians should too, even Gentiles, even people who aren't Jewish should. It sparked a debate. The fundamental debate at stake here is, is what's called, if I can go a little deep with you, it's called the issues of continuity and discontinuity. In other words, what part of the Old Testament continues into the New and what part doesn't? You understand? Right? You shall have no other gods before you. That's in the Old Testament. Do you think that carries over to the New Testament? Sure. But there are things that don't carry over. So this is one of those, does this carry over or does it not? The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them. This is why in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, people spoke in other languages. The reason why people spoke in other languages is so that God could show Jewish people that Gentile people also had the Holy Spirit. And the speaking of tongues or languages was a sign then that they had received the Holy Spirit. And, and, and Peter's saying, look, they're, they're followers of Christ. They have the sign, just as God did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And he's, he's going to bring it back to that point, by faith. You can circle that if you want. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? He's saying, why are you making them do this Old Testament ceremonial stuff, the whole purpose of which is to show you can't keep it, to show the only hope you have is to put your faith in Jesus because nobody can keep the law. And now you want to keep the law. He's saying fundamentally, if you make people get circumcised, they're going to think it's their good moral behavior that gets them to heaven, not faith alone and Jesus alone, by grace alone. And look at what he says. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we become a Christian, that we are saved, just as they are. The men were sent off and they went down to Antioch. They went down to Antioch to explain the answer to this question because they were struggling with it. And when they gathered the church together and delivered the letter, the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. They taught that people become Christians by faith alone, through grace alone. And if you've never heard the message, let me make it abundantly clear. Nobody can keep the law. You ask people, how do you become a Christian? Obey the Ten Commandments. Okay, if you can obey them perfectly, you're in. How many of us can? Right, none of us. So God says, well, here's what I can do. I could compromise my moral standards and laws. 
It's unacceptable. God can't do that. Or I can make a way through my son Jesus Christ coming to earth, being nailed to a cross for the sins of the world, taking our place on the cross. And you can believe that with your head and receive it with your heart by faith alone when you turn from your sin. And then God so cleanses you, he sees you as righteous. Because nobody can obey the law. And that's what Peter's fundamentally saying. That was the whole whole point of the Old Testament law is to say nobody can keep it. There has to be another remedy. And it's not God's going to change his laws. He doesn't. But But he provides unbelievable grace. This is why the Christian message is called good news. Good news. It is. It's good news. And guess what happened? They share the message and people get excited. They go, Phew. If I were a male, I'd be excited. Real excited about that. I mean, when they did it to me, I, I, mean, I was couple days old. I didn't know what hit me. You know, I was at my hairstylist this week, and yes, believe it or not, <laughs> styling can be done to my mullet. And it was styled and such. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm with my, um, this lady, and so she's finishing up with a, like, a hair product lady person. So she, she's, so she's, she sits there, and the whole time, really, it was really, really nice. She had some good spiritual questions, and she's there. And the whole time, she's just sitting there talking to both of us, to Sandra and my hairstylist and then me. And it was this mishmash of conversation about product, like what's good for my hair. And, you know, and believe it or not, she had a product for it or whatever. And then, and then also talking about our faith. So I'm getting ready to leave. And um, so I'm at the thing. I'm paying, and I'm making my next appointment. And she goes... She goes, let me ask you something. You know, I'm getting ready to leave, really. Got my coat on, and, and, it's, and it's like, let me ask you. She goes, like, why did you stop being a Roman Catholic and become, like, what you are, whatever you are, you know? And just tell me, like, what you believe. And I had, like, two minutes. I mean, I had to get to my chiropractic uh, appointment. And um, in two or three minutes... I just explained my faith to her, and I explained doctrine to her. I said, you know, in Roman Catholic Church, boy, there are a number of things that we agree on, but some of the most important, we don't. And when I got done, her eyes got really big, and, uh, you know, she goes, I, I, I'm going to be at your church really soon, and maybe she's here today, I don't know. But... Uh, you have to be ready. The Bible says be ready to give an answer for the reasons for why you believe. And that's all doctrine. We have to know what we believe. But as you grow in your faith, you also have to know why you believe what you believe. You understand? You do. Are you growing in doctrine? Do you, can, I, can I say, tell me five important things about angels. Tell me seven things about what happens after you become a Christian. Can you, can you answer that? By Foundations as a resource, on January 10th, we start our new Common Ground midweek series in the book of Ephesians. Not only are we going to teach Ephesians, you know me, we're going to teach Ephesians and then we're going to get ideas and then really drill down deep and explain doctrine. Make it a part of your life. 
the first and third Thursdays, although because of January being the first Thursday being so close to the New Year's, we pushed everything back a week. And the weeks that follow, a small group, sign up for a small group. But do whatever it takes, because if we live good doctrine, people will be impacted. Here's a third way we can impact our world. This is important. We must learn to fight fair. We must handle our disagreements agreeably. I used to think when I first became a Christian that all Christians got along, that all Christians loved each other, that all Christians were Christ-like. I figured, you know, you come to Jesus Christ and you're so forgiven that, that you get along. I used to think that. Then I met Christians. Then I attended churches. Then I worked in a Christian ministry. And then, of all things, I became a pastor. And I've realized quite quickly this is not the case. Some Christians are unbelievably evil, vindictive, gossip-driven, divisive, petty, and dishonest. Wouldn't it be better if Christians could disagree agreeably? To say, you know what, I, I just don't see it that way. Love you, but I don't see it that way. Paul was preparing for his second missionary journey. And he was about to go on his second missionary journey with a guy named Barnabas. Barnabas, remember bar means son. We saw that bar Jesus fellow. Barnabas literally means son of encouragement. You need to understand that because you'll see where he's coming from because his name really bore out in his personality. And they had a conflict before Paul was about to go on a second missionary journey, 36 to 41. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. In other words, in our first missionary journey, we, we visited a bunch of churches. Let's make part of our second missionary journey kind of a check back. Let's just check how you doing, how you doing. You doing okay, you doing okay? And to go back and check because what would happen was Paul would come in, he'd help people become Christians, and then you know what would happen? False uh, teachers and stuff would come in and try to change what they believed and undermine it. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark heretofore referred to as John Mark. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. You can see that in Acts 13, 13, where John Mark left the first missionary journey partway through. He says, you know, I'm just checking out. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Yep. Barnabas took Mark, sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers for the to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia and he strengthened the church. So question, who was right? You read that. Who was right? Paul or Barnabas? Let me tell you what your answer probably is. If you are a task-oriented individual, you tend to focus on getting things done. I know who you think is right. You think Paul's totally right. The show must go on. This guy side... side uh, tracked our mission, not going to do that again. But if you say Barnabas is right, you're more of a people person. Ah, oh, the job can wait. It's all about people. Who's right and who's wrong? I think they both have an element of wrongness, but I think they're both right. And God used their disagreement to advance the cause in two directions instead of one. Nothing in the text 
Nothing in the text suggests they stopped being friends. Nothing in the text said that they organized gossip meetings. Nothing in the text said they stabbed each other in the back. Nothing in the text said anything evil. They just disagreed, but they disagreed agreeably. And if you doubt this, write these verses down. Colossians 4.10. And then most importantly, write this one down. 2 Timothy 4.11 the last chapter of the last book that the Apostle Paul wrote just before he was about to die in prison. You know what he said? Send John Mark to visit me, please. The guy that was responsible for their dividing, before Paul died, he says, please send him to me. They disagreed agreeably. Sadly, I've seen some Christians disagree in such sad, dark-hearted, Christ-dishonoring ways. I've heard, read, discovered that Christians can be some of the most destructive people around. I'm amazed that somebody who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God can act as carnally as I have seen some Christians act. You learn way more about people, friends. And this is a broad principle of relationships. You learn way more about people in the midst of conflict than you do in the midst of tranquility. You get married to somebody, please, please make sure you have one, two, or three slobber knocker good fights. Real good ones. Because that's how you'll learn how people operate. And there's an old saying that the Christian army is the only army that shoots its wounded. It's very sad. I think the devil just has a field day. He goes, why, why would I mess? They're doing a great job wrecking themselves. It's really true. So, let's not be people who make the church look worse than it already looks to people outside. Let's not. If you have a disagreement with somebody in this church, if you have a disagreement with a Christian at work, if you have a disagreement with a Christian somewhere else, Disagree agreeably. Walk hand in hand, even if you don't see eye to eye. They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They'll know we are Christians by our love. That's an old song, so old that we don't ever sing it around here. So anyway, here's a fourth way. In the now, we must connect with but not copy culture. A number of years ago, I was reading a church planning book. I think it was Lyle Shaler's 44 Questions for Church Planners when I started this church. And he had a lot of cartoons and pictures in it. And he had one picture of a pastor. And there was this dirt berm. And there were three ostriches, all with their heads stuck in the... I guess ostriches stick their heads in the sand or in the dirt. And then there was a pastor right next to him. And he had his head in the sand and his hands planted alongside of where his head was in the sand. And the caption below the picture said, I'm not taking my head out of here until it's 1954 again. I've got news for every pastor in the world, and every, it's never going to be 1954 again. You know, it's like, that's the old day when everybody came to church, and, every, and it was all grand and glorious. Well, guess what? It's not going to happen. It never will be 1954 again. So you can cry about culture, you can complain about culture, and, and, and there's appropriate times to do so. But you also must engage culture. This is why God 
decided you would be born and live today to engage it. Culture has positive aspects. Culture has neutral aspects. Culture has negative aspects. We must use the positive and neutral aspects of culture to communicate the Christian message so that people change from those negative aspects. Paul did that. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. Paul was waiting for them in Athens while he was waiting for them. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now let's stop right there. That's a negative cultural thing. Okay? Idols are never a positive thing. It's a negative cultural thing. So he reasoned in the synagogue. See that? He engaged the people. So let's, let's, just, let's just reason about this. He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. They said, because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus Christ and the resurrection. See, he's bold about his faith. They then took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they all mean. And then he gives a parenthetical comment, Luke does, the author of Acts. He says, all Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. I know a lot of people like that. All they ever do is sit around and talk about stuff and they never do anything. But there it was a culturally accepted. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens... You idolatrous pigs, you. You're... No, it's not what he said. Not at all. Look at what he says. I see that in every way you are very religious. You see that? What does he do? He engages them where they're at. I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What's that all about? The Greeks were polytheistic. They believed in many, many gods. So they had an altar to an unknown god because the Greeks said, if there are gods that we don't recognize, we want to cover all our bases. So let's just have this altar to an unknown. So if there's a god we don't recognize, it's covered by the unknown god altar. See that? They were like, yeah, every god's cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's why they did it. So Paul engages it and says... (laughs) The unknown God. Hmm. Now, what you worship is something unknown I'm going to proclaim to you. And he presents the good news. He says, you have this tomb to an unknown. Let me tell you about an unknown God. His name is Jesus Christ. And he explains the good news of Christianity. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, uh, 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 then he explains it. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, Look at the three reactions. Some of them sneered. So let's stop right there. When you present your faith, some people are going to say, you're crazy. You're jacked up. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. A second reaction is some people will hear you present Christianity and they'll go, hmm, not sure yet, but I'm open. And that Paul, uh, that, and, and then um, at that, Paul left the council and a few men became followers of Paul and believed. Some people believed. Paul engaged the culture without compromising to it. At Lakeshore, for 17 and a half years, we believe this. We start where people are at. I realize this is a heavier topic than we normally do on Sunday, and, and, and that's good. From time to time, we can all be stretched. 
but we typically start where people are at and move them to where God wants them to be. You cannot expect people to jump up here. And our church is designed to present uncompromising biblical truth, but in such a way that people can, can apply it and understand it. We start where people are at and let God move them to where he wants them to be. And those three responses are the same responses people will get. That's why at Lakeshore, we will do everything we can to cooperate with culture. You know, for, from 1995 to 2004, I wore a tie every week. Uh, we were at Apollo Middle School. It had no air conditioning. I was dying. So from Memorial Day to Labor Day, I did not wear a tie because it was exhausting. As soon as we moved in this building, I stopped wearing a tie. It wasn't culturally cool. So I, I try to dress cool. I know I dress like a 51-year-old middle-aged guy, but I understand that. The words I use, the music we do, everything we do, we try to say, we're going to get the message to you in a culturally relevant way. Vance Havender said this. He said, church shouldn't begin at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. Jack Parr said it's a sin to bore people. I believe if we are faithful to the Bible but culturally relevant and biblically pure, which is one of our nine values, I think we can engage people. Here's the last one as we wrap up. Finish well. Spend the rest of your life in Christ's cause. And here's how I want to end this message, and here's how I want to end this series. Paul's third missionary journey in Acts, from Acts 18.23 to 21.16 was the last one before he was brought to Rome, and then he ultimately died. He makes a classic statement to the Ephesian church, a church that we're actually going to study at Common Ground in, the, in their study of Ephesians. And he says, he basically says this, I'm going to never see you again. And he gives them a farewell address. Acts 20, 18. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, this is a real sad point for Paul, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. And of course, he died. He was executed while he was in prison at the end of his life. But then he makes this incredible statement. It's one of the most powerful. This, if, if, if you memorize a verse, memorize this one, Acts 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Let me say that again. I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I can finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. It's telling every human being about God. That's your task if you're a Christian. That's my task as a pastor. That's our task as a church. To consider our lives nothing and to consider the message of Christianity everything. Is that easy? It's impossible. That's why John the Baptist says, he, God must increase, I must decrease. It's, it's a present tense because we're always trying to decrease and increase. Larry Bird said, I've got a theory that if you give 100% all the time, 
somehow things will work out in the end. And I'm here to tell you, if you give 100% of your life to Jesus Christ, they will work out in the end. I want you to understand something. People still die today. And people still go to a Christless eternity if they don't believe in Jesus Christ. And people can still go to heaven today if they do believe in Jesus Christ. But we have to be the church that tells them, that shows them, that loves them, that serves them, that gives to them. And we cannot be so selfish as a church that we only think about ourselves. The day we keep thinking only about Christians, only about ourselves, is the day it's all over, in my opinion. And I believe, I believe we can still dent the world. I, I believe that. Margaret Mead said this, Never believe that a few caring people can't change the world. For indeed, that's all who ever have. And that's what Acts is all about. Today is Making Waves Commitment Sunday. And we have a tool to help you. Since September, we haven't talked a lot about it. And there are two reasons why. Can I be honest with you? First reason we haven't talked a lot about it is because we haven't had a lot of bandwidth. Tailgate parties, sports series to try to reach people. The second reason we haven't talked a lot about it is because we don't want you to think all we ever do is talk about money around here. Because money is just a tool to us. You need it. So we haven't talked a lot about it because we haven't wanted to be needlessly offensive or, 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 or talk about it all the time. So that's, that's a big second reason. But we've said since September, if you've heard the message, which has been muddled by all the activity around here, that making waves is about praying, serving, and giving. So we've done a lot of praying. We asked you to do some praying last week for this commitment. It's about serving. So today... If you look at your brochure, the Making Waves brochure, if you don't have one, grab one on the back of your seat. If you're new around here, grab one, but we're not asking you to give. If you're new around here, we're just asking you to, to look at it. And um, today we have seven partner organizations with us. All seven are listed right here. Compass Care, Embracing Options, uh, Gerhardt Neighborhood Center, Outreach Center, uh, Saving Grace Ministry, Mission Share, Open Door Mission, Rochester Family Mission. We have representatives from all seven groups here. And after service, all along the uh, window portion of our atrium, we have tables for each one of these ministries. We're asking you, all, you're, all we're asking you to do today is to tour all seven, find out more. If you have semi-interest in learning more, sign up, and then prayerfully consider serving at at least one of them at least one time next year in 2013. We want you to learn how to serve. We want you to serve the less fortunate, and every one of these organizations is a Christian, Jesus-centered organization, which is important to us. I'm asking you to do that. And then finally, today, if you call Lakeshore home, we're asking you to make a commitment for making waves. Inside, your program, inside the, the brochure, you can tear off your commitment card. And Sue and I talked about it last week, and we have our commitment card right here. And um, we're making... For us, a generous gift above and beyond our tithe. This gift will help pay for Feed My Starving Children. Additionally, it will help all of these seven ministries will get some money. And additionally, other ministries will get money. The first $75,000 that comes into Making Waves goes out. It doesn't even come here. Everything after $75,000 will help us with absolutely critical mission projects uh, in our church. 
And so that's the opportunity you all have um, to, to do this. When you make a commitment, we need you to make a commitment above and beyond your regular giving. You, you cannot get your tithe and just reassign it. That, that, that undercuts turning on the lights and the everyday ministry. And so it would be above and beyond gift. Now, we're actually, um, last week I talked about how you can bring God a little container and he might fill it. But if you bring God a bigger container, he might fill it. And, and, and so we decided that our offering today, because we're going to have so many cards and your commitment cards and everything else, and your connect cards and your general offering and your envelopes, that we're going to actually have buckets, bigger buckets, because we're expecting God to do bigger things. And then um, Pastor Frank said, you know, making waves, water, and all that. So that's that. So here's what I want you to do. Turn in your commitment card. I'm asking you, I, I know some of you males who are over 45, you're dying to use the restroom. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. No, don't, don't use the buck. Just <laughs> sit right here. And I want you to stay here as the music team comes up. I'm going to pray for the message. Then we're going to have the offering collected. At the end of the offering, the, the um, ushers are going to pour it into one or two big buckets, and I'm going to pray for it at the end of the song. Um, sometimes people leave during the closing song, and um, understand some people are leaving because they have to prepare their serving, but some people leave like the closing song is optional, and um, I understand if you have to go to work, but you shouldn't think of it that way. You should think of it as a chance to wrap up the service. So let me pray, and then we're going to collect the offering, then I'm going to pray over it. Lord God, I pray today that you would use this simple little series to help us turn the world upside down. I know that we won't make the world a Christian utopia that's not in the Bible. It's not even reality. But I know, God, that we can make a difference. And I pray that it would start today with making waves and it would continue in any other way you see fit through us. In Jesus' name, amen.